0: Killer.
1: What is up, internet? I'll lick the stamps. My name is Matthew Kroll. And we all go a little mad sometimes, haven't you? My name is Shaheer Dowd, and welcome to the only podcast about movies. That is right, specifically the film this week, and I am so pumped psycho 1960 directed by Alfred Hitchcock and there's a special reason we're doing this episode indeed if you've been living under a cinematic rock for the last five or six weeks right now you may have missed although I doubt you would have uh, a special broadcast that has been broadcasting on the internet uh, called Inside Psycho, and I have been a huge fan of this podcast since the very first episode. Same. I am a big fan of Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, a big fan of the the film Psycho. So, the uh, any podcast that wants to go inside Psycho, so to speak, has already got my downloads, my subscription. Mm-hmm. And we are joined by special guest Mark Ramsey, creator of Inside Psycho, creator and narrator uh, of the show. Is that right, Mark?
0: Extraordinaire, all of the above. Thank yes. you guys so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we are we are absolutely psyched to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. How has how has life been in the last five weeks? I I, I feel like I'm reading about inside psycho everywhere I go to and in all the blogs and and you know
0: film review sites that I visit. Um, well, it's it's been it's really been great. It's been a great experience. I mean, you know, we didn't quite know how this was going to be received. Uh, we didn't necessarily expect it to hit number eight on the iTunes chart, which it did in its first weekend. Yeah. And um, so it's just been, and it and spent a bunch of time at number one uh, on TV film. I think it's still in the top 10, I think, and maybe 12 or something. I don't know. We're,
1: we're but, looking at it jealously from our position.
0: By yeah. <laughs> know, look, I mean, it's easy for me to say this, but you know, those rankings don't mean anything.
2: <laughs> I got to say, Mark, I've been, I've been, I feel like I've been listening to you for about, like, because I've been downloading them uh, and just listening to your voice. You have a kick-ass voice for this, man. Like, I will now listen to anything that you put out there.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate that because, you know, it, it's, it's formed, I think, from the fact that it's a distinctly non-radio voice, and I recognize that. One of the stories I like to tell is that years ago when I was in uh, college, the school that I went to in upstate New York uh, was a breeding ground for a lot of people who went on to uh, radio and TV. Mm-hmm. and um because they had a strong department for that. and the the radio station was student run. and it, it was commercial. it was very unique. And uh, what happens is the alumni would always come back to to hit on co-eds and to <laughs> hang out with you know younger <laughs> people because that's what alumni like to do. as they do. Yes. And I remember I was doing the news. Uh, on the radio station and this is the station all the students listen to. And uh, this guy came back. He was at the network at that point. He had just gotten on the radio network. He came back to do sports. So I would throw it to him for sports. I he would throw it back to me to finish up the news and and I listened to the tape later and I thought, wow, this guy, this 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 guy Keith Olbermann is really good. Oh, wow. oh man. <laughs> And his voice, though, it's just no comparison to mine. So I realized at that point that while I didn't have the radio voice, maybe I could, you know, use it in a more dramatic fashion to the degree that it was possible. Yeah. So, yeah. You may have a bit of temperament, though, from what I hear. <laughs> you know, it wasn't. It wasn't evident to me because he got a lot of rejection from the co-ed's at that time. As <laughs> I-
1: <laughs> that makes, I don't know why I'm saying this, but that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> uh, oh dear. <laughs> so we're, yeah. we're happy to have you on. I think one thing that I was really excited to do because you've spent uh, so long talking about this particular film, one thing that I haven't heard, and it may be the case that this is going to happen in the last episode, which gets released this week, which I haven't heard yet. Uh, but the one thing that I was really curious about, Mark, is your opinion on the movie psycho itself and your history with the film how you know aside from all the research you've done just what you think of it as a movie itself I I'm gonna speculate and say you like it <laughs> but <laughs> but if we can because what we like to do on the show is do a deep dive into into a film like that uh, and, and sort of how we all came to it and how you know and and our own personal histories with that film um, so I'm you know for to have a person who spent who is at the center point of reviving the interest in that particular film I'm very curious to hear what you think but before we get to that I just wanted to point out to anyone listening in uh, you can reach us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com hit us up at uh, on Twitter at only Uh, also you can go to our website onlymoviepodcast.com to reach us out for any reviews thoughts or just general things you want to say to us on the internet Matt <laughs> of course no I was just gonna say
2: I love how you set up a really interesting question for Mark and then we just like left a- a cliffhanger for him to do our <laughs> housekeeping uh but it's necessary and we love everyone who's commenting on itunes and uh
1: keep those coming but yeah so so matt uh 1960s psycho you weren't born yet i wasn't born yet of course tell us what the imdb synopsis of this movie is. oh we're doing that for okay
2: yeah, all right yeah. we do this too mark we the imdb is very on and off with its actual very like the one sentence descriptions <laughs> Uh, so basically, what IMDb says is a Phoenix secretary embezzles $40,000 from her employer's client goes on the run and checks into a remote uh, motel run by a young man under the domination of his mother.
0: Well, it could have been a uh, hotelier uh, finds difficulty keeping rooms occupied. That, yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, that's a, I mean, that's, that's a, gr- what you just said is a great point, which is that this film, it does, I mean, it is the touchstone for perspective shift in cinema, in cinema history. And I think I like to, I like to think about it, you know, sort of in the same breath that the, the great train robbery, um, might've done for, for film goers, you know, uh, in the, in the silent era is that it really changed what they thought cinema could do. Right. And that perspective shift that I'm going to get Mark to talk about a little bit is something that's quite known to the film, but it's also obviously an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Sure. It's, it's probably his most famous film. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about your interest in Psycho? When did it start for you?
0: Well, I think it goes back to kind of a related question, which is why this movie for this podcast? Okay, and, yeah. And I, because I think it's about more than just interest in the movie because everyone's seen Psycho. Everyone has some admiration for it. Who's interested in the genre, the category, um, the the classic film, I mean, you name it, uh, you know, famous directors, uh, uh, big, uh, box office winners, classic movies, classic Mm -hmm. thrillers, classic horror, horror of any kind, horror that had influence on the future. I mean, it's, it is a touchstone for so many things. Um, I think that I had this idea. Mm -hmm. Well, let me back up. I felt like, um, that what you tend to hear on podcasts was kind of one useful manifestation of what people are interested in, but not universal, uh, not not everything that they're interested in. I thought, for example, that how come what you see on TV is so different from what you hear in podcasts? How come the top of what's on the podcast charts bears little resemblance to kind of the top uh, of what's on uh, television um, mm-hmm. uh, ratings? And I thought, well, you know, why is there so much of you know, similar kinds of programming on podcasts? And why isn't there more variety? And I thought specifically, the one thing was absent was something that was really kind of deeply ambitious and, and, um, story based. In other words, a beginning, a middle and an end mm-hmm. that had, um, some roots in the familiar.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: right. in other words, it wasn't you know, an original radio drama. It wasn't in fact, a radio drama at all. Um, it wasn't, you know, a show like this with a bunch of people talking about something that they're all interested in. It was something different. So I had this idea to create this thing just in terms of the type of show that it is, which really is quite unique, that is, uh, tells a story more like a, you know, a parent reads a storybook to a child, Mm -hmm. right? You know, there are no actors in the roles. There are no different voices beyond mine, essentially. Um, I am. There is no imitation of Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet there are scenes kind of recreated from the era, from the time, from behind the scenes um, that anecdotes brought to life, you know, stories brought to life that propel the whole thing forward. And I hope and this is, I think, one thing that will be clear when the last part uh, publishes on Thursday. I hope that the whole will be viewed as bigger than the sum of its parts. Um, I can tell you that the chapter you haven't heard yet, the final chapter, it's a six-part story. Mm -hmm. It adds up to about two hours. Each one is 20 to 30 minutes. Um, The final part, part six, publishes this week, and it is my personal favorite of the six. Oh, nice. And and it's the one that is actually after the movie because the heart of this story, the heart of any story, is not – the great things that happens to the hero. It's the whole arc of the hero's story uh, up and down, you know, a rise and fall. Um, And the last part, the last chapter is really um, the, the, what happens to Hitchcock after psycho.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh,
0: And the, not just the legacy of the film, which is one part of it, but um, kind of the challenge of, 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 what you do for an encore when what you've just done is psycho, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it creates this amazing amount of pressure, um, pressure that he never really recovered from. He went, I mean, the birds yeah, came of out course, a couple the birds. years later, but yeah. that wasn't anything compared to psycho. Um, there was never anything compared to psycho and there he is. And I tell this story in the final chapter in kind of the waning days of his career, on the Universal lot, doing Family Plot with Bruce Jern. Yeah, which I, I've in, seen in 1975, uh, five, I think it is. And uh, while he's looking at the box office for Family Plot, he's also looking at the box office for this other little thriller that Universal put out the very same year um, called Jaws. Right. Yeah. Uh, the The box office for which was you know 10, 20x times what, um, family plot was doing Mm -hmm. and here Hitchcock had just done for money, um, a, um, a gig as the voice of the jaws ride Mm -hmm. and Spielberg wanted to meet him. Spielberg had never met him. And Bruce Stern was saying, you know, Spielberg really wants to meet you. And he, he would call him the boy who did the fish movie. (laughs) Amazing. And, And he just, he, he, he diminished it. But at the same time, he couldn't meet Spielberg. He just couldn't meet Spielberg because he was humiliated.
1: He knew that his time
2: was over. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, see, that's something, I mean, even that story that you just told us here is something that I really uh, love about your podcast in the fact that like, I I feel like before I listened to the the episodes that have been released at this point, I felt like I had, I knew a decent amount about Psycho. I didn't know, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't know how much I didn't know, uh, and that's always really exciting for me. Plus, you you know, as you said, it's sort of in a in a different genre. You, I liked the way you put it, sort of that it's kind of like a storybook. It's like you see, you're you're literally reading us, the audience, the the un the untold, or at least the very little known stories. Not only you know about what the film is based on, but then as these podcasts go further, the things that happened while it was shooting. And now I'm very excited for the for the last one for the aftermath.
0: Well, you know, that's the thing. I mean, it's like, why am I listening to this? I mean, I could have done something which was a straight, you know, retelling of the events behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could have done You know, a lot of podcasts do stuff like that, where they'll tell a story and they'll be kind of light on audio production values. You know, they'll have an audio bed, but it's really there as an audio bed. Mm -hmm. There's no point. There's no there's no role for the audio in the story. Um, And I wanted to do something else. I wanted to tell a story where the audio was a character in the story, where the audio was uh, illustrating the power of audio to paint a picture, uh, to make something uh, compelling, uh, to, to kind of heighten drama, to do what audio does in a movie. I mean, you guys work in the industry, you know, in television and film, audio is not just an afterthought. Audio is an equal party to the pictures. Oh, a hundred percent. That's what I wanted to do here. And then the other thing I wanted to do was I thought, you know what, if I'm just like telling anecdotes, you know, the 13 things you didn't know about psycho, what's the point? (laughs) Yeah. Um, You won't believe number four. (laughs) I mean, what I, what I tried to do instead was to, was to say, this is really a story about kind of the rise and fall of the hero a guy who really bet everything on this ridiculous movie that everyone, including his agent, including the studio, told him would be not only a failure but a blot on his career, an embarrassment. And it would make him an embarrassment and a laughing stock to the only community he cared about, which was the community, his fellow filmmakers. right. And he took the chance on himself. He made that bet. He took that risk. He did what it's what someone at his stage in his career really <laughs> wouldn't normally do. And that's bet on this chintzy little black and white thriller that he was going to turn around in 30 days at the low-rent studio called Universal. <laughs> he was coming from Paramount yeah. with Cary Grant and, you know, a technicolor. And here he was, <laughs> you know, a bunch of marginal act a uh, marginal stars. Um, tons of no stars, and then a couple of marginal stars. At one point, things were so uh, bad and his doubts were so great. He literally pondered cutting it up into episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents and putting it on TV. I mean, that's where he was. And then for it to have the success that it had is awesome. But then there comes the fall when you realize now you've got to come up with something else. And that whole arc, that whole kind of story struck me as not just a story of a filmmaker, but it's a story of anybody who takes a chance on anything. It's a story of any entrepreneur. It's a story of any creator. It's a story of any writer, any screenplay writer, any filmmaker, any musician who wants to put something out there into the marketplace against all odds, against all better judgment in the hopes, in the prayer that it finds an audience and it works. And then if it does, the greatest burden they have is, <laughs> what do I do for an audience? Yeah, force? yeah. How do Can I? Can we do out? it
1: again? It's interesting, you know. I I guess when I first started listening to your podcast, Mark, it, it, you know, because you start uh, on this episode that is very much about it. Gain and yeah. and it's interesting to hear you talk and and discuss that. You know, uh, essentially Hitchcock is your protagonist. H- Hitchcock is the hero of your story, and. I, I'm hearing you say that has kind of made me rethink the structure of your episodes, which, which feel a little more uh, almost jarring in the way that Psycho is jarring, in the way that it kills off its lead, uh, you know, within the first, what, 40 minutes or 20, 30 minutes. And in yeah. the way that, you know, your podcast starts out as this sort of, very grisly story of Ed Gain, you know, who's a person that we've kind of know through folklore, who's been the inspiration for not only Psycho but the Silence of the Lambs, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, and and then it shifts gears into into how Ed Gain's story became important for this one man. And I'm I, I guess you know this comes back to that initial impulse question, which is that obviously you had a genre a, a, a thing you wanted to achieve um, at a very pragmatic level. But obviously, there must have been a crossover of interests for you in this, in this particular story. You know, the story of a filmmaker, the story of a of a serial murderer, the story of the the process of making a film, and the story of what you do after massive success. I'm I'm curious, like from your personal background or just your personal interest, where you came to decide that that Psycho or Alfred Hitchcock was the the avenue to talk about um the story
0: well and i i i it it had to be something <laughs> <laughs> could have been anything you could have you could have done and, the
1: history of star wars
0: well you know you, the, the the difference there is that look i'm i am a horror buff right and i do feel like um the audio is uniquely powerful or it could be i should say uniquely powerful in that genre Mm -hmm. And, um, again, just take the audio track off any horror movie Mm -hmm. and I challenge you to find any scares in it. Um, Yeah, it'd be very hard. So I, I, I knew I wanted to go in that. And I think what the Ed Gein, the, the fact that the Ed Gein story plays out over one full episode is partially related to the fact that one of my goals here is to scare people. Right. Mm -hmm. To show that, in fact, it can do that. I've listened to a lot of so-called, you know, horror podcasts that are uh, 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 kind of built for drama, and I don't find them generally that scary. And I really wanted to prove a point here. And as you, when you get into the final episode, we return to Ed Gein at a particular point in it, and I think it'll be effective. Um, uh, So I wanted to kind of Prove that you know, I mean, I over the years, if you listen to ancient radio stuff, you'll hear things like Arch Obler, mm-hmm. who is one of the kind of historic figures in this space, um, who uh, is the man who famously, and one day I'll rip this off with credit, uh, mm-hmm. famously did a show, I think, on lights out or something of of a character being turned inside out. Right. And um you know, the ability of audio to create that picture, can't be duplicated by any amount of CG,
1: right? Yeah, no, it's, it's the most powerful CGI machine in the world is your own brain and audio is specifically designed to tickle that brain.
0: After all, I mean, look at even, you know, getting back to Jaws. Okay, well, the shark wasn't working, which is why you didn't see the shark very much. But how many times has Spielberg said, Thank God the shark wasn't working because yeah. I made a much better movie as a result of the shark not working than if I had the shark all over the place? <laughs> and you guys know as well as I did that if that movie were uh, made today, there'd be CG sharks everywhere. Right. And they'd be moving in, you know, kind of perfect you know, perfect mathematical figures,
2: perhaps in a tornado of some kind,
0: (laughs) which just, well, (laughs) that's the low rent version. I know. I know. I was,
2: it was right Uh, there. I was like, well, if everyone had all the money in the world, they just start throwing sharks and tornadoes together.
0: There's another thing too, that I want to say about this in the last chapter that you haven't heard yet. I Mm -hmm. mean, ultimately I think one of the points that I made and it's my, it's, there's a, there's a point that's two minutes of audio. It's my favorite segment of audio in the entire six episodes. And it's a point where Hitchcock, you know, at the very end of his career, he's never won an Oscar for his work, by the way. No, he, he won this um, um, picture. It, for at the very end of the, his career, he's given a lifetime achievement award. And I, I recreate the audio of him, you know, rising to his feet and walking slowly to the podium and where he gives a few words and, and he looks out into the audience and, um, and he, after all that, a career of achievement, the person he thanks is his wife. And it's it's one moment where I'm trying to illustrate the point that no matter what happens in your career, no matter the ups, no matter the downs, no matter if you create Psycho and no matter if you can't ever recreate it, um, you can still have love. And that tiny little moment, that little two-minute clip I think is just is is really the reason why the whole thing works for me. The whole two hours works for me because of that. And that's just again, you know, I could do you know you could do a serial and spend ten or twelve episodes uh, doing a really interesting investigative piece on you know is a guy or isn't a guy guilty? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good for journalism. But that has nothing to do with the, you know, more pure form of storytelling, which has nothing to do with journalism. And this is purely the story. It's 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 a love story cloaked in horror. That's what it is. And and that I think by the time, you know, the final moment is heard on the show, mm-hmm. I hope what people are left with is the idea that it's a much fuller experience than, I, than, than they expected. It really has nothing to do with trivia. And it, it really is an enriching story that, you know, kind of takes you inside what it is to be a creator and an artist and the sacrifices that are made, but the things that you have no matter what else happens. Yeah. And that to me is, I, I hope, a, a really powerful story for anybody who does what we all do.
2: I mean, it sounds. It sounds to me like that's the ultimate bow on this sort of giant, like, like stew of awesomeness that you kind of have created. I mean, you did a little bit of true crime, you did a little bit of behind the scenes filmmaking. I mean, film history in there, obviously. So then, adding that is us- using what you've just described to sort of tie all that together and be the the keystone of the linchpin in this sounds amazing. Yeah, so. it,
0: there's one other thing that I think I should mention because mm-hmm. it's really poorly understood, and I, even the people it it. it at one we went back and forth on it a couple times. Um and that is that um there it's this I view this as a, a biopic without pictures. Oh yeah. And when you see a movie um and it's about something true, you don't expect every line of dialogue to be accurate. You don't expect every scene to be accurate. You don't expect every character in fact to exist. Um and that's the way I did this. And I think people listening to it, people have asked me, well, wait a minute, did that happen? Is that true? Um, Did so-and-so actually say that? You know, when Hitchcock had the film canister in his hand? Right, and and he wanted to send it to the MPA. From the the censors, did he really just toss it up in his hands and then put it in an envelope and send it back? Well, the truth is he didn't make any changes, Mm -hmm. but that little flourish of, no, he just threw it up in the air, And then he he flipped, turned it around. He put it back in an envelope and sent him. I mean, that's artistic license. And there's a lot of artistic license in this because and and for some reason, people are confused because they can watch a movie with so-called actors, you know, and they 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 kind of give it the permission to create that artistic license. But for some reason, I think because so much of what podcasting is, is 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 true life. So much of it is journalism people expect it's all literally true, not just figuratively true. And I don't get that. So I also wanted to make a point to say that you can tell a story where you're telling where the, the events of the story create a larger truth. And that larger truth is, in fact, the purpose of the story. And that larger truth is absolutely true. But how you got there, <laughs> of course, yeah. and, and, you know, and it's funny, because I had This has led to some interesting conversations. And without going into any details, which I'm not privy to do, you know, there was one conversation I had in LA with a Hollywood agent and his client who was an actor. Okay. And this actor is in a TV show that everyone would know. Mm-hmm. They would recognize this guy. And he has a, a, a private project, a pet project that he wants to bring to life. And he has a script that he wrote. And the thinking was, well, if we can't get this project off the ground, what if we did a... A, pod, a, a podcast yeah, version yeah. of this project, you know, and because if that got off the ground, then the podcast serves as uh, source information, just the way a graphic novel does, just yeah. the way a book does, just the way a play does, just the way a musical does, you mm-hmm. know, it's part of the whole portfolio of things that end up being turned into movies. Right. Um, and when I said to him, you realize not every minute of this is true, right? He said, Of course. So the actors get it. Yeah. But for some reason, I think there's, and I've gotten some other weird feedback. It's like I've heard a couple of people say, well, there's so much sound effects. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's, that's the thing. That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, you don't watch a movie and say, ah, there's so many sound effects, so many moving images here. Mark, there's
2: too much of the cool thing you're doing. Just <laughs> dial back the amount of cool things you're doing and End. it'd be
0: fine. And yeah, that one... just speak into a mic, no sound effects, tell a story. You know there's a there's a genre for that it's called audiobooks and it's good at what it does and I had no desire to create it. Right.
1: Yeah, it seems I mean but in, in many respects it seems like you wanted to almost in a way write a novel but an audio novel with that was designed. I mean one of the things about your show that's quite remarkable is how well designed it is. And I I don't just mean the sound but it's the the way in which sound is um is is integral to the to the story you're telling. it's 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 very it, it is very, very unique. And I think I said this to you on an email. you know, like I, I personally, you know, the thing that I think that the DVD generation brought out was, uh, you know, was audio commentaries were uh, an incredible resource for filmmakers. but i th- I feel like, what your podcast has done is kind of in a way almost opened up another door as a resource for film i mean i'm i'm taking it as a specifically as a filmmaker because that's what i'm interested in but i mm-hmm. feel like you've kind of opened up another avenue of storytelling that could be like i kind of want to see like what would the what would the jaws version of uh, of your podcast be or what would the star wars version of it be or what would the texas chainsaw massacre version of it be
0: well, the beauty of what I, I, we've done, and uh, by the way, the sound designer's name is Jeff Schmidt, and he is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, I literally teed him up and let him go. I mean, I knew I had to write for sound. Right. And I I wanted to create, you know, sh- all the vignettes are relatively short. All the scenes are relatively short. So I knew that structurally that's what it was going to be. I also knew it was going to be intentionally nonlinear generally. Um, because I, I mean, that's, you know, I think people have an appreciation for that kind of storytelling now that they didn't once have. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we, we, set out to do it that way, but here's the thing. Um, the reason why it's easy for me to put this out in the world and say, okay, well, here's a new genre, enjoy it without thinking, well, okay, now there's going to be, you know, everyone, people are going to do it for star Wars and jaws and it's not going to be me. It's going to be somebody else. Here's the reality of it. This is really ambitious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. This is really hard. I mean, if you talk to, I mean, to give you an idea, the teaser alone, which is six minutes of audio, mm-hmm. um, he put in five hours of production time. Right. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. You can you, so, you sense that as and well. And you can think, tell, yeah.
0: yeah. You can tell. And that's why I think to put it out there, it, it I, I hope it gets credit for the... You know, the really the fact that sound is a character in this, not just an afterthought and not an audio bed. And I get that some people won't appreciate that because they want a, an, an audio book and that's not what this is. Yeah. But um, I've been describing it as an audiographic novel. <laughs> I and mean, that's
2: a re- very apt description of it. It's what it paints yeah. it, it paints a very good picture, a very clear picture in your brain just from the audio. So
0: yeah, I think so because all the segments, all the the scenes, so to speak, are about two minutes. You know, they're they're anywhere from one to three minutes long, and the segment they it's intentionally designed to be the each episode is designed to be the length of a commute, basically. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I and I was very deliberate. I mean, the reason why the teaser is all Ed Geen is because I wanted to start with a bang. And by the way, the teaser was the only thing that was done before the show. The teaser was, was the calling card. It was the, it was the pitch. Yeah. And wondering bought the show off that pitch.
2: That's fantastic. That's great. That's awesome.
0: Uh, Uh, I wanted to
2: actually ask you because you've now you've now become my de facto on all things pretty much psycho, uh, obviously, but I was after listening to all your stuff and maybe this is even coming up in the last episode, I don't know yet, but if I was wondering, this is sort of an odd side question. If you had one thing, if you could ask sort of Hitchcock one question about psycho that you weren't able to sort of answer or find out about in your research, what would that be?
0: Well, I think I would want to know from him. I mean, uh, th- there's a thread throughout a lot of these episodes of fear. yeah, mm-hmm. and it's fear of failure, um fear of humiliation, fear of embarrassment. And that's you know that's easy for you and me to have that. It's another thing for someone as celebrated as him to have that. And I think what I would ask him is just, you know i i I kind of uh, place that as a halo over him and, um, what his work on psycho in and around psycho. And there are, you know, various resources that indicate that, you know, a lot of that is, is true. Um, I think the question I would ask is just, is just how much did he feel it? I right. mean, how afraid was he? Um, because, you know, he did after all kind of, uh, rip off Robert block. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he di- he did find it. Uh, he 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 did uh, not pay for the mm-hmm. source material what others were paying for similar source material. It's Nine thousand oh, dollars. He did. That's it? the beauty of mm-hmm. anonymity. It's classic Hollywood, but nevertheless, yeah. Um, you know, you can see that kind of stuff play out now in Feud on FX. <laughs> um, but um, I think that's what I would ask him, which is just you know, what was kind of the internal. Dialogue throughout that process, and just how afraid were you? And um, and you know, I don't know if I would get an answer. I've been thinking about you know, as we're we're on the cusp basically of being renewed for another season, mm-hmm. and it, we're just kind of working out some of the financial details. And um, you know, if I pick something where the filmmaker is still alive, which is likely, mm-hmm. um, then um, I, you know, I'm going to be in the position of having asked that question, right? Yeah. Um, And that's going to be interesting because I think most of these guys aren't in the business of being that reflect, being that, you know, self-reflecting. Yeah, I I have to
1: I have to say, Mark, I think one of the things that I I actually love about your podcast is a person uh, who has studied Hitchcock quite extensively and thought about him a lot. And, um, you know, as a filmmaker, look up to him quite a lot is you actually have managed to paint a portrait of a man who I, you know, believed my entire life to be one of the most celebrated filmmakers of all time and someone who I couldn't possibly ever imagine of having a confidence issue. And yeah. and it and it's remarkable because I think it comes through in some of the monologues that you have of, you know, Hitchcock thinking aloud about the making of Psycho and and how he was going to put it together and, you know, the taking the big gamble is that I think the the idea that he didn't know how psycho was going to turn out. And he was basically trying to compete with B studio, you know, B Pictures at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think, you know, in a weird way, I know know we just asked you, what would you ask him? But I think I feel like you've answered that and and in a very compelling way.
0: Um, Maybe, maybe I've maybe I've answered it better than he would be willing to answer it. And that's my hunch, by the way, I think that, you know, look, I don't think it's any secret. You guys work in the business that that you know the town runs on fear and loathing. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's <laughs> and, the it's the diesel. <laughs> and and um and and it but it's largely unsaid you know it's largely unstable yeah because the whole the whole
2: thing is a confidence game i mean at at that sort of level you have to be super confident in what you're doing and if you're if you're not even under the veneer of it you have to really you have to really just push it forward
0: and yeah i mean so kevin smith creates his first movie by you know getting whatever $20,000 in in hawking in credit cards mm-hmm. and he's been able to turn that into a into a career um but you had to believe that um you know, uh, he had a lot of fear at one point. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, that's literally, he's setting up his entire life to either succeed or fail based on this one piece of art that he's making.
0: <laughs> uh, that's right. Uh, yeah. I and mean, he could have, he could have been long ago fired by a, you know, a, uh, a video store, um, mm-hmm. and that be his last best job that easily could have happened to him.
1: And it, it's so strange because Hitchcock is such a confident filmmaker. I mean, the thing about Psycho is he's, He's playing with, you know, he even describes it himself, he's playing with his audience and he's so successful at it that it's hard to imagine him being insecure about how the audience is going to respond to his film or insecure about his own greatness. But of course, he's a human being. So I think, I you know, I really think that that's something, you know, like that you've uh, either, either... Um, conjured up, but I believe to be true.
0: well, or- you know, look, look at it this way. I mean, uh, first of all, a lot of that is, I mean there there is scholarship on this. a lot of it is 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 accurate. but also, I mean, how can you not feel <laughs> that way? I mean, how can you not how can you listen to everyone tell you you're making a huge mistake and at your stage in your career, uh, you're on top of your game, and by the way, I mean, this is why, you know, established companies aren't as innovative as uh, two kids in a garage. Right. Because they have everything to lose and the two kids have everything to gain and nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. Hitchcock was IBM, not Facebook, you know. Yeah. Uh, And that's that's the that's the challenge, I think. So which is why I think that kind of thinking is understandable. And then it can only get worse when he starts turning out failures thereafter. (laughs) Right. Which, Which, you know, like. And and then he feels, of course, he he feels the town change. Mm -hmm. You know, he sees what's happening and, you know, uh, Bonnie and Clyde is out and then Jaws is out. And, you know, this is not, this is not the America that gave us Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, there's
2: an interesting sort of thing to uh, talk about this. Actually, Mark, we're coming up uh, soon on our hundredth. Uh, episode of this thing and one of the things we're going to talk about is what films that we've reviewed have stood the uh the test of time and it's very interesting to think about like when a film is created from uh whoever creates it how long it will either last either in the public zeitgeist or just sort of um you know the ebbs and flows of the mood of the town of hollywood uh and and alfred hitchcock for me is something that has really how do i put it stood the test, it, of, it time. Stood the test <laughs> of time but but I, you can you can also see that even even these prolific directors and creators of pieces of art that we uh, you know will have, love now and will love forever also have that time in their career where they do start churning things out that aren't as renowned or fail or fail outright and it's amazing how um I feel like the fact that we're still talking about psycho, the fact that you've released this beautiful content about this film and about the man behind the film is Testament to just this moment in cinematic history. And, and just even beyond just whenever he's developing all of these, you know, his entire career is just this, this slice where (laughs) it's, it's really just a wonderful thing that can live on despite the fact that, yeah, you you know, when you get older, sometimes you're not going to have your hits at the
0: same, at the same rate. Well, he was—you know—he was no spring chicken even yeah. when this came out. Yeah, Um, and uh, I, 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 I can't help but feel that you know a filmmaker like—and again, this is just me um, uh, speculating—but even a filmmaker like Steven Spielberg hmm. is, to a degree, picking his projects for prestige mm-hmm. because he knows it's easier for him to create prestige yeah. than necessarily create box office. Um. If prestige is accompanied by box office, great. But if it isn't, at least he has prestige. Of course.
1: <laughs> and and Spielberg himself is at that is kind of at that point that Hitchcock might have been when Psycho came out. I mean, he's actually a little bit later than that now. I think so. And, and yeah. he you know, and I think the conversation that that happens at that for an artist at that age it falls away from innovation and more into legacy. Like what is the legacy I'm going to leave behind? Because I know I only have a few films left. What, what am I going to occupy the last few films of my life with? And I, you know, I I think the thing that you've pointed out is that Hitchcock was an older man and he was basically, he saw the tide turning against what he does. I mean, North by Northwest and vertigo are classic, beautiful, studio pictures and psycho by all accounts is, is an ugly movie. It's a grisly, ugly, little film. Um, but for him, for, for such a prestigious filmmaker to kind of like jump in and do that is a remarkable, I, I guess, a uh, a testament to his uh, ability to understand what the zeitgeist is.
0: Um, and yeah, I think, I think, I think that's true. And, and I mean, he spent a bunch of time after that movie came out With the marketing people, I mentioned this in one of the episodes, trying to reverse engineer it Mm -hmm. and, you know, find out, well, how do we do that again? Mm -hmm. You know, of course, William Castle built a career on trying to puzzle that out. (laughs) But the other thing I think that Hitchcock did is he committed himself completely to the success of this movie. He knew that there was no star other than he himself. Right. And that that's why he was the marketing. If you watch the trailer for the film, even now, you'll see that it's just Hitchcock on the set. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, but it is, you know, what makes something like that last? Who knows? You know? Um, but even today to know that, you know, five years in, we're five years into Bates Motel on Mm -hmm. A&E that obviously wouldn't exist on the basis of the, of the book alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think that's safe to say.
1: (laughs) Well, Mark, my question for you then, I guess, is you, you've stated you're a horror buff as well. Like I'm curious, uh, what you thought, you know, prior to doing the show, what you thought of the film Psycho, just as a young man, I'm guessing when you saw it for the first time, like, you know, I'm guessing you saw it, uh, well after it had kind of made its mark on cinematic history. Did it make a? I mean, how, what was the market made on for you?
0: I don't actually remember the first time I saw it, which is which is interesting. Um, I don't know if it was on TV at one point. I believe, if I remember right, that to this day it's never played on broadcast TV in the U.S. Oh right, it's played it's played on cable, obviously, right. but not broadcast. Huh. Um, so I mean, you know, and back when I was a kid, kid, mm-hmm. you know, cable didn't even exist. Yeah. So uh, I don't really remember the first time I saw it. I remember seeing it in college, and mm-hmm. I don't believe that was even remotely the first time yeah. so i i i i was as surprised as anybody at the end i do think it generally holds up mm-hmm. and there are moments i happened to catch it a, a few weeks uh, a few weeks ago uh tcm um uh, ran it for like thriller month or something and i happened to catch it and i thought you know we're one episode deep or two episodes deep it's a great opportunity for me to live tweet it so let's go oh that's okay. great yeah so I was watching it and live tweeting it at the same time and, um, enjoying it. And I was, you know, I hadn't seen it since I was putting together the source material mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that there were, there are moments in it that the awesome scene where, um, it's Anthony Perkins and Martin Balsam, you know, uh, kind of at that awkward moment yeah. where Marty's the detective, mm-hmm. uh, to learn more and Tony's being evasive and uncomfortable. And that's just awesome acting. I mean, that's acting that is as good as anything you'll see today anywhere. And it's just, it's just, it was kind of refreshing to see that and be reminded just how good, good can be.
2: Yeah. Uh, and then also the, the, um, a concept that I've been dealing with, especially with sort of older films and, 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 and truly renowned films that have specific moments that are like, etched in this you know cinema zeitgeist right like so the, obviously the shower scene is the shower scene and everyone knows the shower scene everyone remembers it so when I was even re-watching it for this discussion uh, I, you know the, it's interesting how the power of that scene shifts from what it was sort of meant to be to be like now it's almost like a thing of reverence like look at this look how expertly it was crafted something that jumped out at me and I think that actually speaks to the film more as a whole because I just it was the, the thing that's not publicized as much for instance is the second murder of uh, uh, abergast mm-hmm. Martin uh, Balsam's scene yeah. yeah uh which that stairway scene every time i watch it it's it's the perfect sort of like set up for me to forget when it's coming and it hits and it's just like, it gets me every, like I jumped this time. My cat went running out <laughs> of the room. Uh, is, is there a specific scene for you? Uh, that, I mean, is it that conversation you brought up before or just some, is there something, uh, sort of not in the, in the, you know, not the shower scene basically that you just absolutely love and gravitate toward?
0: Well, you, I mean the, the Arbicast murder thing is kind of, you know, is, uh, is obviously a great moment. Shower scene, of course, is, you know, uh, great to the point of cliche. I mean, I was unhappy to see the shower scene, um, adapted for Bates Motel in the way that it was, Right, right. quite frankly, un- unhappy to see it adapted in any way in Bates Motel, Yeah, but, um, particularly unhappy to see it adapted the way that it was. Um, but I think that um, yeah, I mean, there there are moments of technical virtuoso of which those are two examples. Yeah, and then there's a moment of just perfect mood setting, and that that that's why I like that Marty Balsam, uh, Anthony Perkins yeah. moment. Tony's eating the the, 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 the candy seeds. Corn. I yeah. guess it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, which was a thing he brought to it, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was perfect because, first of all, it was bird-like, which is perfect. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it, was, it just reflected his uncomfortableness in that moment. And you get the feeling like he's hiding something. And you know that Marty Balsam knows he's hiding something. And it's just a really great moment. And I think one of the things that people should take away uh, from this movie and hopefully this podcast is that you can have great moments that aren't showy moments, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, hundred percent. I think the the remarkable thing about that scene for me is, a, and as example of Hitchcock's understanding of of building a scene, is when they go into the uh, into the hotel um, into the main room and they're looking over um, the registration book, and there's this really odd, beautiful shot of of Anthony Perkins leaning over to look. At the, at the registration book, and he kind of leans in sideways while he's still eating uh, some, of that, uh, some of that bird feed. And it's just the, it's the kind of shot that Hitchcock, a guy who knows how to shoot uh, Ingrid Bergman or, or Grace Kelly, would never shoot, or, you know, Cary Grant, would never shoot any movie star that way, but he does for this character, and it's such a creepy moment, and it's such a beautiful execution and a beautiful understanding of what makes this character work, and how can I show that visually? Um, so I, yeah, I think it's a, you know, obviously
0: there's, there's something else too, that I'm just thinking of it that I might as well mention, which is one of the challenges we set out for ourselves. I mean, obviously we weren't operating, first of all, we didn't want to simply, you know, create an audio documentary of the movie and give you highlights and audio clips and all that other stuff. That seems to me to be easy. Mm -hmm. Um, and that also gets into rights issues, right? So, um, you're, you guys are five episodes deep now, but you already know that there's not one bit of audio of the from the movie. Yeah. There's not one actuality from Hitchcock in his own voice. Mm-hmm. There's one bit of psycho music, um, nothing. And I, I think we use six words from the script in, in, in the entire show. So, I mean, that was a kind of an amazing constraint to place on ourselves because here we were telling a story about a famous movie with famous visuals and famous audio and famous music and not intending to use any of it. Yeah.
2: I <laughs> yeah. mean and that's that's a huge that's a huge uh, I think you know, challenge. And also what sets your, your podcast apart is, and I was going to say, you even brought this up in the very beginning when we were talking, I love how you, you will say something. And then because you're not doing an impression and you're not doing, you know, characterizations of Hitchcock, you'll be like Hitchcock's words. or That was what Hitchcock said, you know, like, and that to me, like, I don't know. There's a difference. There's a different way my brain processes that information, sort of learning that right at the tail end of the sentence, as opposed to hearing someone do an impression and be like, oh, this is supposed to be Hitchcock. And I think it sinks better, at least for me. Um, well, so
0: I, in, my, in my case, I didn't, I never did an impression, but yeah. I did at some point, you know, uh, uh, play both roles, let's say. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah. Whatever was appropriate. If there was a, if there was a moment I wanted to dramatize or illustrate, then yeah, I, I, I played the roles, but I played the roles with my own voice. Yes. And, um, it, and then there were other moments where there were certain phrases or quotes or whatever that I thought were particularly apropos. And that's when I, I referenced them the way you indicated. Yeah.
2: Um I think we I just have time for one more sort of side question for you uh sir and that is obviously you've mentioned and you've proven you are an incredible horror film buff. I'm curious is Psycho your favorite horror film
0: and if not what is? Wow, that's a really good one. What yeah. is my favorite? Well what uh, what films horror. are you
1: tossing around for season 2 in that same you know with
0: well, is, it, is mean, it's going to be a
1: horror film or or is it not the even second a
0: high- question? The second question I'm not going to answer. Okay. All right. Well, I, we can just have, answer the first one. I have a very specific idea. And, you know, I'm looking for something where there's a suitable amount of scholarship and of course. some interesting stories to tell. And I, I definitely have one in mind. Um, in terms of the answer, I mean, gosh, favorite. Um, you could do top really three. Probably, Favorite's hard. <laughs> I'm, I'm really partial and I'm, I'll give you a couple and one of them will surprise you, okay. but, uh, I'm really partial to, uh, the old universal classics and mm, I mean the original mommy. ones. Uh, I'm really partial to the, you know, the hammer, uh, spin-offs there. Yep. Uh, and I'm, uh, really partial to, um, 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 night of the living dead yep. of course. Um, because of its you know, broader message. Um, yep. And just the sheer, uh, you know, nerve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh.
1: To make that zombie that film had in that context. That.
0: Yeah. Um, and then finally, I would have to say that one of my favorite underrated Christopher Nolan movies is also in that category. And that is the movie The Prestige.
1: It's a yes. uh, fantastic movie. So good. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily classify it as horror, though, but I'm interested to hear you you spin that. I kind of would, Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I, uh, you know, you, it has those elements, though. So I think, look, horror is at its best when it's more than just horror. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Night of the Living Dead was, you know, a uh, uh, a lesson in uh, uh, culture. Yeah. Um, um, and a lesson in civil rights. Yeah. Um, and so the the more something is narrow to its category, the less interesting it is. I mean, Jaws is that a horror movie or a thriller or more than all of the above? Yeah. Um, it, it, I would argue that it is. It, yeah, it straddles. Yeah, and so I think that's why I look at something like the Prestige, which I feel like never really got the credit it deserved, and uh, to watch it again today is just to be it's, awestruck by how 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 brilliant it is, and then to see that kind of stuff play out for obvious reasons in um, you know some of the stuff on HBO right now. I mean, it's just it's just it is, it is worth seeing again for anybody who hasn't seen it in a while for anybody who hasn't seen it, uh, you know, pick up the prestige or stream it. Yeah. It's available on Amazon. On Amazon. I know, I don't think it's prime, but it's, it's actually, it's,
1: it's coming to Netflix, uh, short, I think this month. or next Oh, wow. Month. So well, there we go. So it makes it no day. excuses. I'm curious what you think of the current state of horror. Like, are there any recent horror films that have actually floated your boat or, or are you kind of, you know, not that interested
0: well, I, I like a lot of the stuff that's coming out of the Blumhouse team. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: you know, we talk about them all the time. They are,
0: they are. They are I mean, you can look at the bottom line. Is this you can tell when they're really trying to make it good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think what's what's unfortunate is that it's been a while since Silence of the Lambs. Right, and mm-hmm. I guess I've got to add that one to the list too. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, of but if if you really reflect that, that was what like ninety one or something. Yeah, Silence yeah. of the Lambs. I mean, it's been an awfully long time since there's been a horror movie out. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, where where you will say, "Wow, this could actually be an Oscar nominee." Right. This could actually win Best Picture. It and has, Yeah, I think it's way too. I think it's been way too long since there's, especially out of America, the, there's just been nothing in that category for a long time.
1: There's a, the only film I could think of um, is that P.T. Anderson often refers to "There Will Be Blood" as a horror movie. And I kind of, and whenever he does that, I kind of reframe my thinking of that
0: movie a little bit. Um, and Well, I guess, it. I, I, it, it, you know, I like some of the stuff. Paul does, but, um, I would put that in the category of a boring horror movie.
1: Oh, well that, that's a conversation. To be <laughs> I'm right way. there with you. Uh,
2: well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on, uh, the only podcast about know, the film we, psycho, which is not true blatantly here. Uh, but that's okay. We did the research in our own lab and we can just, you know put the asterisk next to it. Um, when, when you are not schooling the world on the wonderment that is Psycho and Alfred Hitchcock, Mark, where can folks find you?
0: Well, um, you know, you can find uh, – uh, connect with the show at uh, on Twitter at, at It's Inside Psycho and Facebook uh, slash Inside Psycho. And um, I've got my own company that does a lot of stuff in the audio space called Mark Ramsey Media. And I'm working with Wondery. On this project and others, and you know, Wondery has a lot of good stuff out there. So I think those are all kinds of uh, uh, places to uh, check in and and stay current. And if you uh, um, uh, check in on the podcast and download it now, I hope to continue to keep updates going between now and the fall. Because if we do this deal and we get in line to uh, produce the next um, series, um, it would be crazy not to release it in October.
1: Oh, like yeah, Halloween.
0: A hundred percent.
1: Oh, and is that a, is that a slight hint at what's stop movie trying to stop trying to pick the man's <laughs> no. brain? It's a secret.
0: <laughs> no, if, if what you're asking is, does that mean that it's uh, inside Halloween? I would I would um, alert you to the fact that next year is the 40th anniversary, not this year. Uh,
1: okay. There you go. I, I have a pitch for what I would pick for the next film, but I'll uh, maybe I'll do that off. You keep that to yourself. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Shaheer, where can folks find you, buddy? You can find me imagining the next season of what Inside Psycho (laughs) could be at uh, www.shaheerdoud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. That is links to all my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all that good stuff. Matt, where can people find you? They can find me at
2: matthewkroll.com for all my life and works. Also,
1: Skeletor, the number
2: for P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Obviously, you can find and email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or onlymoviepodcast.com for all of our past episodes episodes. And uh now Mark you got Night of Living Dead in my head now man and now I, all I'm thinking is they're coming to get you Barbara. Uh
0: and I need to go watch that probably later this evening. Um You know what I mean, it's funny cuz I haven't even thought about that as a potential uh, that's uh candidate. Yeah. And now, I, now I'm I'm uh, adding that to the list. Throw
1: it in the pile. Throw it in the pile. We oh. we would I would. we I think the th- the point we want to get across here is we will listen to anything you want to make. Yeah, literally. If you did, uh, you know, uh, Bambi, we, B- we, we, we would take Bambi inside Bambi. Well,
0: I mean, uh, uh, uh the uh, Benji. How about Benji? Benji's oh, I coming up. Benji. There we yeah. go. Oh man. Um, no- it, seriously, I appreciate that, guys, because this thing literally took probably six months from start to finish. And hours and hours of audio production. So the more ears that hear it, the better the the chances that I think people will appreciate it. So I'm really grateful to be on your show today and participate with you on this. And thanks for your interest in it.
2: Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, yeah, I guess, guys, this has been the only podcast about movies for this week. Thank you again, Mark. Thanks, Shaheer. Thanks, Matt. And uh, yeah, we will see you next week for, I believe, episode 99. Much different tone, Mark. Uh, We might be living a quarter mile at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we'll leave you with that anyway guys we'll see you later bye thank you